The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say, they were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. Every second Sunday of Lent in the liturgy of the church, our Holy Mother brings us to Mount Tabor, to the Mount of the Transfiguration. And it's important, especially in the context of Lent or this particular Sunday in Lent, uh, is to remember the context that the transfiguration in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in all three, the transfiguration is preceded by two important things. First of all is Peter's profession of faith. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then Peter steps forward and says, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, after Peter, in the name of all the apostles, recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, well, then Jesus has to lead them along another step farther and say, okay, yes, I am the Messiah, but not in a way that you probably have understood. And then Jesus uh, tells the apostles, predicts for the first time that his passion, that the Son of Man has to go to the chief priests and they're going to crucify him in Jerusalem. Now, they heard the words, but obviously it didn't really sink into their hearts. So those two things happened this episode, this event in the gospel, the transfiguration. Peter professes his faith, but then Jesus clarifies that the Messiah is going to have to suffer. He's going to have to uh, lay down his life and then be raised from the dead. And then, of course, Jesus now takes the apostles up to Mount Tabor, at least three of the apostles. Really, the preface, so the preface is the prayer right before the priest begins the long part of the Eucharistic prayer. The preface really summarizes uh, the message of today's gospel pretty well. It says the following, For after he had told the disciples of his coming death, on the holy mountain he manifested to them his glory to show, even by the testimony of the law and the prophets, that the passion leads to the glory of the resurrection. 
That's really the heart and soul of the message today in the gospel, that the passion must precede the resurrection. But of course, the resurrection really gives meaning to the passion. The parallels between what happened on Mount Mount Tabor and what happened with Moses on Mount Sinai are perfectly clear. Mount or Moses went up Mount Sinai. He went up and he heard, rather than the God's voice, he heard thunder, and he was enveloped in a cloud. And then what happened after that? So Moses went up, enveloped by a cloud. There's a loud thunder, thunder meaning God's voice, and then God revealed to them through the Holy Spirit the law, the Ten Commandments. The first three, of course, having to do our relationship with God, and then the second tablet, the seven, having to do with our relationship with one another. So this exact kind of parallel happens. So now Jesus, the new Moses, goes up the Mount Tabor, and instead of thunder as God's voice, God himself, the Father, speaks. And he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And of course, the cloud comes. Then a cloud came casting a shadow over them. So the clear parallel in the Old Testament between God the Father and the Holy Spirit in the cloud. And here on, on Mount Tabor, the cloud envelops them. And the voice comes, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son. Of course, the enormous difference is what follows after that. On Sinai, what followed was the book of the law, or the Ten Commandments, written on stone. But what follows this, of course, is not simply a law, but is the law in the form of a person. And the law, the true law, the fulfillment of everything that Moses was given on Mount Sinai is fulfilled not in a new set of rules. It wasn't about that. It was about being fulfilled in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why certainly we have to follow moral law, the moral law of the Ten Commandments. But the essence of our, essence of our Christianity is following a person. We do whatever Jesus says and we try to imitate him. It's a relationship. And that's everything God was trying to teach the old people in the Old Testament was all about the new covenant. New covenant as a friendship with Jesus. And then after all of this happens, suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus. The point is that Jesus is all you need. You don't need anyone else. He is the law and the prophets. Moses is the law. Elijah, of course, is the prophets. Both of them testifying by their presence on Mount Tabor that everything that happened in the Old Testament is fulfilled in not simply the law, but the law given to us in the person of Jesus. He is the fulfillment. So that might sound a little bit theoretical. It's certainly not theoretical. It's theological, but it's truth. And you could ask, well, okay, well, what does that mean for me? Well, here's where we have to have the faith of Abraham. One of the things about the faith of Abraham is that he went along the path, even though he didn't see it clearly. Because remember, before he was Abraham, he was Abram. And God had promised that he would be the father of many, many nations. There was only one catch. He didn't have any kids. So he was saying, how could, we poss- how could I possibly have a lot of descendants if I don't have any children? Of course, we know that uh, he can, uh, his wife Sarah, after God changed him, Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah conceived and gave, and the Lord rewarded them with their son Isaac. And then what's today's first reading is what happened when God put Abraham to the test. And the reason he's called our father in faith is because he somehow reconciled the two promises of God but didn't protest. He didn't say, well, I don't believe you anymore. In fact, he said, I don't see it clearly, but I still believe. Meaning, you told me I was going to have descendants. And now you're telling me to go up and kill my son. 
So St. Paul reflects that Abraham must have believed in the resurrection because there's only one way to reconcile those two things. That if I kill my son, God, you are going to have to bring him back to life in order for me to have descendants. And that's why Abraham's faith is so profound, because he really believed that. He believed in the promise God gave him, but then he was obedient to the word of God, even to, to the point of doing something he didn't understand completely. But yet, God was testing his faith. And of course, Abraham was not sacrificed. He was given, uh, it was not take, his life, life was not taken away from him, and Abraham did become the father of many, many nations, but most importantly, that was fulfilled in the spiritual sense. Even that might sound a little bit theoretical, but it really, this whole dynamic of being obedient, of dying to ourselves, and then being risen up again, has happened to every one of us who has been baptized. It's the exact same thing. Remember, the cross precedes the resurrection. Now, most of us probably were baptized. We didn't really know what was going on, but the effects are still the same. And so when we were taken to the church, what's the first thing that we did, or we do during the rite of baptism? We renounce Satan. That was the first Sunday in Advent, or first Sunday in Lent last week, it always is the temptation of Jesus in the desert, is Jesus being tempted. So Jesus conquered Satan. And if you go through the, the rite of baptism, the, before we actually do the baptism, we reject Satan. So all these things that happen in the scriptures, the church is saying, well, now this is happening in your life too. You're rejecting Satan. And then what happens? Well, then each one of us is either the water is poured over us or we're immersed. And what that meant in ancient times, what it meant for the church and what it means today is that we died to ourselves. Again, the passion precedes the resurrection. So in everyone who of us who have been baptized, we went through this same process, dying to ourselves, and then what happens? We come up to new life after we're baptized. The priest says the words, or the minister, or the deacon, or the bishop too, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You go down, you die to everything that is sinful, and you are raised up again to the transfiguration, this new life in Jesus. So hidden in each and every one of us is this grace of the transfiguration. We just don't see it. And that's where, again, Abraham's faith is very important. We have to really believe that that grace is operating within us, even when we don't see it. When we go out there and live our faith or try to profess our faith or even spread our faith, and there are no results or no apparent results, well, that's where the faith of Abraham has to carry us along. So when we're baptized, we come up to new life. Is that any, does, the, does the white garment ring a bell? That's what we do. We bring on a white garment, and Jesus... His, his, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white. So what the church is saying is what happened, what Jesus predicted, his death and resurrection, what happened on Mount Tabor, is not just theory anymore. It happens in our own life. We really do go down in baptism. Through the power of the water, we come up. We're given the new light, and it's symbolized by the garment in baptism. And then we have a candle. It's the light. In the, in the creed, what do we say? After we profess Christ, we say, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. That candle we get at our baptism is a sign of our belief in Jesus Christ as the light. Same kind of reflecting on the light here that's shown forth from Christ. And why we have to have the faith of Abraham is because we don't see it. We don't necessarily see this amazing grace of God operating in our life, but it's really there. And Jesus wanted just to give them a glimpse of it, of his real power. 
And the height of that power, of course, comes every time we receive him in the Eucharist. He's really here. He's really present. It's just a matter of us kind of carving away, chipping away the obstacles in our mind and our heart that obstruct his work in us. So we have to know that this dynamic of passion and then followed by the resurrection has already happened in us. We've already been baptized. And now we have to be constantly fed by the Eucharist to make that a reality in our life. And that's where, finally, it leads us to mission, that we're supposed to go out and proclaim this. Again, it requires the faith of Abraham. Uh, You might go out and profess, you might go out and serve, and how much uh, recompense will you get? Well, probably not many. You're not going to, probably not going to get on the news if you go out for the Friday mission or the Good Friday and Holy Saturday missions. If you went last year, you're going to go out this year. Don't expect any worldly recompense. It's like almost like Jesus hinting that when he says, don't tell anybody, anyone. Don't relate anything you say to anyone. So don't go out on the mission so that other people will see you, so that other people will give you credit. Don't expect that. Christ isn't asking that from you. He's asking you just simply to spread his gospel. But what I will say is there are those people for whom you, be, you will be, when you go out on mission, this transfiguration. They're going to see the light going through you, some of them. The ones who are open, uh, the ones who... Uh, are accepting the light of Christ in their life, they'll see you and they will see hopefully a little bit of this transfiguration come out from you. Obviously not in the same physical way that the apostles experienced it here, but have the faith that you have gone through this dynamic of death and resurrection and that you have the grace of God, the living God in you. And it's not something like Christ said, you can't, uh, light is not meant to be put under a basket You have to go out and shine it. And that's where the mission comes in, in your own way of life or or taking specific times to go out on the mission. That's the way the world is going to be transformed. Uh, So, but it all starts here. It all starts with really believing that these events in the gospel aren't just past events. What Jesus is saying, the church is saying is, yes, they happen in Jesus' life, but they're also happening in your life if you have faith, the faith of Abraham, the faith to say, Lord, I don't always see it, but I'm going to go forth and be your follower, your disciple. So let's ask our Lord for that great grace as we continue our Lenten, uh, our sacrifice, our fasting, our dedication to prayer, to making the word of God living and operant in our life and really have that faith of Abraham. Yes, Lord, I've gone through this, this dynamic of passion and resurrection already. So please, please help me to be more purified, more on, on fire with the word of God and go out and spread that mission uh, with that fire that, that Christ gives me here in the Eucharist. To God the Father, we make a sacrifice of thanksgiving, counting on his unfailing mercy. We stand before him now with our needs. For the church, the body of Christ that we will deepen our devotion to the Eucharistic sacrifice which gives life to the world. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That all government leaders and legislators be guided by wisdom and prudence and for an end to all violent conflict in the world. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For an increase in vocations to the priesthood and consecrated life, particularly for our parish and diocese, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For members of the military, that God 
will keep them safe during this uncertain time. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the grace this week to see the glory of Jesus in all the circumstances and crosses of our life. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Today's Mass is being offered for all, for the, all the repose of the soul of Mary Vessels. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For those who are sick and are infirm, and for their caregivers, that God in his mercy will draw close to them and raise them up. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the repose of the souls of all the faithful departed, that through our prayers and those of the Blessed Mother, they may join the saints in heaven. Eternal rest grant them unto them, O Lord. And let perpetual light shine upon them. May their souls and the souls of the faithful departed. Through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Most merciful Father, you did not spare your own son, but handed him over for us. We trust that you will always give us what we need. Keep us true to you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. 